Uh, we are in the, the middle of a sermon series. We're talking about different faces and the same Jesus. And last week, if Micah preached on what he was supposed to preach on, <laughs> we would have talked about, I think, a widow at Nain. So he would have been talking about this situation and hopefully talking about this face and the different faces and how you understand, uh, how much you understand from faces. The reason we're doing this is just because it's such a, I think, a cool thing when you look at how the pericope goes, that's their scheduled readings, that four times in a row we have four very distinct different people. So that's what we're going to be talking about and we're going to be looking at today. So today, the one that we're looking at is the centurion. So we, that was our reading for the day. So it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And so Capernaum, if you know that area, that's kind of the northern part in Galilee. There's only, there's only one map that most pastors know how to draw. It's got like the Sea of Galilee, then a line, and then the Dead Sea. Have you seen this? Growing up at a, in a Lutheran elementary school, I think I saw that map about 150 times. So you start to get used to this. So Capernaum would be on the, a little bit towards the western side if you go up in that area. And if you would compare it to just kind of areas in general, Capernaum would have been very nice. It would have been like the Castle Rock of, of that area. It's really nice. It's, uh, and a number of the disciples you'd, you've heard of, Peter, uh, James, John, and Matthew, all came from Capernaum. And Peter, we think, is married because it refers to he went to his mother-in-law's house at Capernaum. So they, they spent some time in this area, very, very nice area. They would go there. And then they kind of travel outside when Jesus was especially doing his northern, his northern work. So they finished saying all these things. People are listening. He enters Capernaum, this very nice town. And a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So the centurion, if you, I'll give you a little bit of background. Hopefully this isn't redundant because uh, if you've ever heard a sermon on this particular text, they're going to tell you certain things, right? The centurion is a Roman officer. Have you heard this? And he's in charge of, you could guess, centurion... 100 men. So they had a garrison that was located right in Capernaum. He's in charge of 100 people. And generally, there'd be a little bit of friction between Jewish people, and there'd be some friction between the Jewish people and then the Romans. Because if um, China just rolled in right here and took over our nation, would you be super pumped about the, the rulers, the Chinese rulers that would be you know, w working a garrison, if that was what they would call it, in Kassarok? I mean, how much of I don't think we'd like that very much. So in general, they did not like the Romans. The Romans uh, had pagan gods. They didn't believe in the true God. They, they allowed them to worship the true God, but I mean very reluctantly. And so this was kind of a point of contention. They, you know, they would eat pork and the Jewish people wouldn't, and they would sacrifice to these idols and the Jewish people, of course, wouldn't. So there's all this friction. But this case is really a different case. So they go to Capernaum, and from a human perspective, if you talk about it, I would say this, this guy kind of had everything going for him. Right, so he, he has a good job. Uh, they had pensions back then even for their military. They would go retire it. They'd get land and stuff like that if they served. So he had a pension. He has a good job. We don't know if he's married or anything like that. But I mean, he says to someone to do it and they have to do it. That, that's kind of fun. So you have some authority. You have some prestige. I think we'd have known all the right people. If you're going to kind of hobnob in Capernaum, people would say, oh, here he comes, whatever his name is. I'll make up some kind of Roman name, Gladius. That just means sword. So <laughs> like that, that, that's how tough he was. His kids, you know, his parents named him like sword. That's why I didn't name my son like Thor. That'd be too much pressure to be super tough and mean. So they, uh, so he's a, he would have had all these people. He knew all these people. All these things are going great and, and things are going well. But there's one thing that's not going well. This poor guy values a servant highly and the servant is sick. And I think this would be especially hard because if you look on a, on a, spectrum right of control versus not control in your life where do you prefer to be on the spectrum 
So we're going to put control over here, and you all have to put it here because I'm going to make you. So control is over here, and then not control would be over here. Where in that spectrum do you feel like you like things in your life? I should ask this. Is there anyone who likes things on this half of not control? Most people like to control things, right? And it's just to what degree do you like to control things. So at your house, maybe you let things go, and you're like, hey, they can take care of it. But work, there's certain things you're very particular about, right? And then you get particular. Does anyone know who is super, very, very particular about things so you can't do anything outside of their way? You share their opinion, and you're like, wow, this is great. This is how it's going to go. And they're like, yeah, you bet. And then they just end up doing what they're going to do anyway. Does anyone know anyone like that? So I would guess to be very good at his job, he'd have to be very particular. So that means he's in control of things. They run out of water. What does he do? He sends the scouts ahead, and he finds water, and he said, this is what we're going to do. They're running low on food. He says, all right, everyone's taking half rations until we get to here. So like all of this is controlled. And then in his life, though, this thing comes up in his life. His servant is sick, he values the highly, and he can't do anything about it. So it's kind of a classic preacher story, and, and I'm always reluctant to use any of these illustrations because I've heard them multiple times. When you, we go to school, I went to a Lutheran elementary school and then a Lutheran high school where they had chapel every day, and then went to college, a Lutheran college, where we had chapel every day, then seminary where we have chapel every day. You tend to hear illustrations, um, but here's one, there, there's a vine. This could be a true story. This could be a true story involving a vine because who doesn't hang on vines in the jungle? So, so this is, there's over a, a scary cliff, there's a vine hanging. And this guy slides down and he, st he starts to get tired. Has anyone ever, if you're a rock climber, I know Max is a rock climber, um, Annika's dad. So you get to this point, have you ever like squeezed so much that your muscles start to give way? If you're out of shape like me and you weigh 210 pounds, that happens sooner rather than later, right? So you actually, your, your muscles will just seize and then just give up. So that's what's happening on this vine. I'm making this much more dramatic than the original telling. So he goes down the vine. He's like 100 feet up and 100 feet down, and it's, it's misty. It's misty below. He can't see what's happening, and he's stuck there. And the guy's holding onto the vine, and he's too tired to climb back up. Or he's just 210 pounds, so he can't actually climb back up. And he's, he's too scared to go back down into the mist. And so in desperation, as he squeezes, he says, if there's anybody up there, is there anybody up there who can help me? And he pauses. And he says it again. And he hears a whisper that says, just let go. And he squeezes a little tighter and he says, is there anybody else up there that can help me? <laughs> right, so the illustration, of course, is a picture of like when you talk about the things in your life, I think we all know people who almost have everything together and maybe you put yourself in that category. There's, there's so many things that have lined up, and maybe you do have a good job, and you have a good family, and all these things are lining up, but there are some things in your life you don't have control over. And the question is, do you just keep squeezing tighter and tighter and tighter, or do you just let go? In this, the illustration, there's supposed to be a nice deep pool of water that the person went through the mist into the water, which for some people would be scary anyway, right? So Because there'd be vines involved, which means it's in the jungle, so there's probably like piranhas and, and snakes. So, I mean, this is not, I, I wouldn't say it's a win-win, but it seemed to be okay. But let's take a look at this centurion, who's a, a man of control, who, who, who likes things the way he likes them. So thing we're going to pick out out of his faith, of all the people in the Bible, there's only three times that Jesus says someone has an amazing faith, and this is one of them. And here's how the story continues. The centurion heard of Jesus. So he runs into this problem. 
he has no control over it, right? He's helpless, just like when your kids are sick. You're somewhat helpless. You can't do anything about it. He's totally out of control to some degree. And he has this moment, and he's heard of this Jesus, and he says, sends some elders to the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So if we're going to take three things from this centurion, because he's got a faith that God is amazed at. So number one is when you run into a problem, you can either squeeze tighter or you can let go and just trust that God's going to take care of it. The centurion let go. So they send him on his way. And of all of the people in this story, I think you guys would have liked the centurion. And I'm going to tell you why. So just imagine people you like in church. Today you should picture 125 people, right? So you like everybody at church, but imagine people that you like. And I think you really would have liked this guy because he was the Roman. He was supposed to be the enemy. You're not expecting much. Has this ever happened to you? This happens all the time in movies. I mean, it happens in real life. It's the Harley Davidson guy who's like really tough and he's got this big beard. And everyone's like, well, I'm scared of this guy. And then when he talks about like his daughter getting married, he just like balls. That makes it on YouTube. You know what? Does that make it on YouTube if I do that? You're expecting me to cry, right? I'm supposed to cry. Like that doesn't work. But when the big burly guy does it and it's different than you expect, then you're kind of endeared to him. And I think that same thing would have happened in the centurion. This is a guy who should have no regard for the Jewish faith. He should have no regard for these believing people. He should not care one bit. But at some point, someone started to tell him about the true God. And at some point, someone shared their faith with him. And at some point, he started to understand. And when he'd look at the scriptures, he realizes that the truths in these scriptures come from somewhere else. So that when the Jewish people, and this is true in Capernaum, wanted to build a synagogue, you know who paid for it? this guy. Like, just imagine we meet some guy who's a presenter on atheism or something like that, and somehow he sees the truths of God's word, and when we go to build a church, he goes, tell you what, I'll write the check. I would like that guy, right? And I think you would like that guy, right? This, This is someone that your heart goes out to. So he sends the Jewish elders. He said, hey, can you talk to Jesus? He's heard of the Messiah, and he believes that this is the Messiah. That's what we think, right? And he says, well, you just go talk to him and ask him if he can meet me about my servant. So the centurion heard of Jesus. He sends out some of the elders, the Jews, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So when they came to Jesus, these people like this centurion man, Gladius, and they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And, and uh, the other account, it makes it very clear that this is from his own money he has built the synagogue. So Jesus went with them. I think I did that wrong. How in the world? What did I tell you? I told you it would go bad. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So the the centurion is there. The Jewish people are pleading to say this guy deserves it. And let's just talk about deserving for a second. I think on um, a deep theological, spiritual level, most of us understand, and we should understand, that we do not deserve to go to heaven on our own. I don't think there's a single person here who, when you show up at heaven, is going to say, hey, God, I took some notes about my life, and I want to show them to you. They're pretty good. They're really good. Here, here's a highlight right here. Look at this picture where I helped somebody. This is when I was nice to my brother. Right? Is there anybody here who's going to get to heaven and just go through the list of things that you've done that are so awesome? 
So when we go through the confession of sins, right? We do this every morning. This one's a little bit different, but merciful Father, I confess to you, I acknowledge that I deserve your anger and punishment both now and in eternity. Like, I don't think there's anybody here who anticipates, like, showing up to heaven with this expectation that we are so good that God's going to let us into heaven. That's like a theological salvation, salvific is the word that they use, level. But I think it's a little bit harder when you just talk about things in general. And I think it's a little bit harder when you start looking at the landscape of people that you know. And how often have you heard when something bad happens to someone, they're like, I just, I just can't believe that happened to them. Someone uh, prays and prays for a little baby, and they have a baby. This is, I mean, friends of ours that this happened to, right? So they, they have this baby. They go to the hospital expecting to have a, a child in their arms, right? Beautiful like Annika. And they don't leave because it's stillborn. What, does you, what do you immediately think? We, we don't say, well, this is not my counseling to them. Uh, merciful Father, we do confess that we deserve God's anger both now and in eternity. So, I mean, you don't do that, right? Your heart breaks and you say, this doesn't make sense. Or you know someone who's like worked and worked and worked for retirement and then their, their wife, and, and I know this, he's a pastor, so his wife is now sick and probably not going to recover. And so they, they plan their whole life and they're so excited and they've worked 40 plus years in the ministry and they're just looking to say, hey, let's just spend some time together and she's sick and probably going to die in six months. A couple I know, uh, it's another pastor, they can't have kids, so they, they went through the whole adoption process and they got all the way down to, from a woman in California that said she's going to give up her baby to them. So they did all the interviews, they did all the visits, they took time off work, you know, they sit, you know, spending down their savings, and they finally get to this moment and the girl says, I don't want to do it. There's part of me that says they don't deserve that, right? Your friend doesn't deserve that, and, and the, your grandparent dying early, they don't deserve that, and that girl I just grew up with, I just heard this, she, her parents were, her mom is 59 and just died. You don't deserve that, right? It, and I think this is where it gets difficult, not that we think we're going to go to heaven on our own merits, but when you, you function in this earth, we'd like to think that God sees some of the good things that people do, like this centurion, and think, God, he deserves better than that. He doesn't deserve that. And so, if I look at my own life, there's plenty of times where stuff has happened and I'm like, I don't deserve this. Like, I shouldn't be putting up with this garbage. Like, God, I, I'm working hard and I'm doing the things that you desire and it's not like you're involved in some shady scheme or something. It's like, God, why can't you just bless some things? Why can't you just open some doors? Why can't you just make things work? And maybe you're in a spot like that. You're like, I, how can the guy that I work with that is shady get a promotion and you don't? How come when it comes to raises, it's like yours just sits right there and then this other person who does nothing but surf the web all day it gets like get recognized on a national level? Like, what is the deal here? How come the other kids that don't practice and don't do anything, the coach loves, but then you work hard and hard and hard and it doesn't seem like the coach cares at all? I think we'd take a lesson from a centurion. This is a new, we would assume, a relatively new person to the faith. When confronted with a situation that no doubt he doesn't deserve, right? God, I have made your synagogue. All my friends don't believe in you, but I do. And I've got all the garbage from them, but I still want to walk in your ways and trust in the true Messiah. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
he recognizes very clearly not only who Jesus is, but he recognizes that, God, I literally deserve nothing from you. So normally, normally, um, when you're in a situation in a human world and you don't deserve anything, you stop, right? You, you stop there. If you're in negotiations or something, it comes very, very clear that you do not deserve anything. Um, let's just say the, you, you discover something's your fault. Has that ever happened to you? This, we go through punch lists, right? And punch lists again and again and again and again. What happens if I go to the builder and it becomes very, very clear that we're the ones who dented the wall and I'm telling him he should fix it? When it becomes clear that we're the ones who did the damage, I kind of get quiet. I could quit bringing it up and I just kind of move on to the next subject, right? This is how we interact with human beings. So every dent that we've ever made in our life is because of us. Every problem we've done is because of us. Every single thing, every punishment, every bad thing, we ultimately deserve. We have no leeway before God. So what is our response when we do this? And this is what's super fascinating. And I think probably the best thing that we take away from the centurion is not only does he recognize who Jesus is and go to him for trouble, not only does he recognize he doesn't deserve God's help, but when he thinks about who Jesus is, the God who creates the earth, when he thinks about who Jesus is, the promised Messiah for thousands of years, when he thinks about Jesus, the one who you know, formed the, the sky and put the stars in their place, when he thinks about Jesus who lived absolutely perfectly, when he thinks about Jesus and a God who says, I love you, he asks anyway. He doesn't deserve it, but he asks anyway. There isn't a single person in here that deserves to ask a single thing of God. But faith says, God, if you're really who you are, if you really love me like you say, I don't deserve it, but if you really do love me, I'm going to ask anyway. And this is how he says it. I, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. In, in faith, that's really what prayer is, if we're talking about learning from a centurion, this guy confronted by a Savior. That, that's what prayer is. We come to God and we say, God, I do not deserve it, but you say the word and I can get a job. You say the word and we can make this finances right. God, you say the word and I can find healing. You say the word and this relationship can actually be mended. You say the word and I can get over this abuse that has happened to me. God, you say the word and even though my baby is not alive, I can take a step forward. God, you say the word and I can do it. And so the centurion in faith recognizes Jesus he knows he doesn't deserve anything, but in his faith, he steps forward and says, God, you say it. That's an amazing faith. Jesus is amazed. He says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And how the story ends. And the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Uh, I think you've seen more amazing things than the centurion. I, he recognized who Jesus was, but you have seen that Jesus this is, has died and risen from the dead. You have seen what God has done in the lives of the people that you know. You've seen that in water, in his word, he brings forgiveness. You've seen in the simple things of bread and wine he gives us forgiveness you have seen your life transformed and so i think with that same confidence of the centurion you can step forward knowing who jesus is and you can ask anyway
God says, I'll always be with you, even to the end, and we can believe that. God says, I bring you forgiveness, even when you feel broken, and we can believe that. And when you step out into this world and you know all this trouble that you're not in control with, you can put it on God and say, God, I'm going to let go, and I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we really, truly deserve nothing, and that's hard for us to get over. All of us are always trying to get our merit. We're always trying to feel good about ourselves. We're always trying to strive so that people look at us in a better way. We really deserve nothing in your presence, and it crushes us, and it, 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 it obliterates us, but it's Jesus who picks us up. It's Jesus who brings forgiveness. It's Jesus is the one who can bring healing, and he's the one who gives us confidence. So to that end, we come to you with confidence. We're going to say the word. We're going to just take a moment right now to think of the things that are heavy on our own hearts and think about those things that we can put on your lap that you can take care of for us. None of these things happen because of our great faith. These things happen, and the, the, the reality of this comes through because of your great goodness and your great mercy, which you demonstrate to us every morning. We ask this always in your name. Amen.